Welcome to the Primal Pioneer, a no-nonsense podcast teaching you how to rewild your life and heal your body using nature's medicine kit. I'm your host, Heather Shepard, classical homeopath, author of The Sunlight Rx, and alternative healer. For the past decade, I've been helping people overcome acute and chronic health disorders and brain injuries using a 100% natural approach. Enjoy this episode and subscribe to this podcast to stay informed about your body, your health, and how to lead the healthiest life possible, even amidst our crazy modern world. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today I want to continue the conversation about hormone health with you all. And um, I've been talking a lot about hormones lately. It seems to be um, a topic that's very misunderstood. I mean, what health topic isn't misunderstood? Most of them are. But, I mean, hormone health is such a big one because, um, and I'm particularly talking about women, it's a huge problem for men as well. But these last few episodes are really um, targeted towards women's health and women's hormones Um, and so, you know, a lot of the quote unquote solutions were given with regard to our hormone health, whether it's a hormone related cancer, like breast cancer, colon cancer, liver cancer, pancreatic, whether it's PCOS, whether you, um, are, are trying to to get on a, a contraceptive, Right, and so you take birth control, or maybe you're given an IUD that releases hormones, or copper, which is equally as detrimental. Um, you know, there's there's not good options for women's health and women's hormone health in the conventional world. What is the conventional world good at? Let's just say, probably if you break your arm um, and you need a, a cast. Let's say you have a gunshot wound and and you need that repaired. Maybe you have a life-threatening infection and you need something along with your your, uh, alternative, you know, care to support that, to help you get over the hump. Um, Those are some cases where Western medicine could be helpful, but when it comes to hormone health, it definitely doesn't make the list. Now that the in the states they've taken away um, the women's right, I guess some some white men in the office decided that it was okay to tell, uh, you know, decide what was best for women's reproductive health. So they just said, nah, we don't need abortion anymore. So it's, you know, it's against God's will. Let's um, let's keep all these children who. <laughs> And, you know, basically deciding for the women. So now we're at this point where women's health has always been kind of at the whim of uh, men and them deciding for us, whether it's somebody in the Supreme Court, whether it's, um, you know, somebody you're sleeping with, whether it's a parent, um, men seem to think they know best when it comes to what's best for women's health. Um, They're not telling men to go get snipped in order to, you know, uh, you know, stop having children or to prevent, you know, the birth of 
unwanted children. It's, it's always on the woman's shoulders. So now we're at this point in, in the world that, you know, whether you want um, an abortion or not, or whatever, when it comes to your hormone health, other people always know better. And um, this is, is a great time to take your own health as a woman really into your own hands and, uh, and get the support of other women around you who really have a true understanding about women's health. And, um, you know, reach out to people who walk their talk and who have a really deep understanding of women's health. And um, look for your support there. And hopefully this episode will help to support you as well. There's a lot you can do um, to help support your hormone health without exogenous hormones or, um, you know, some other person, male or female, telling you what to do with your body. Um, And so, you know, just like when they, um, when prohibition hit, there were, you know, speakeasies. So don't, don't want to, don't want to be fooled if you don't think we, we don't know how to give um, natural abortions for women who need that. So if they think they're fooling anyone, I don't know who they're messing with. So anyway, (laughs) um, today I'm going to talk about hormone health. We're going to talk about how it's connected to the emotions. And then I'll I'll get into, you know, kind of the the root cause of our hormone imbalances, one of, um, which is the emotions and emotional disturbances, and how you can start to rectify those. Um, And I just want to say that last episode, I did speak of hormone health, and this connection between the emotions, the sexual sphere, and um, how our emotions and our, our sexual drive or lack of sexual drive, basically the sexual expression, how these two things, the emotions and the sexual sphere, influence and impact our hormone expression. It's basically just an extension of our hormones and um, how we are emotionally, how we express ourselves emotionally, what our emotional patterns are and what our sexual patterns are. Um, says a lot about the overall hormone health. And um, you can tell uh, a lot about somebody's hormone health by simply learning about their emotions, their emotional expression, and um, their sexual expression as well. And I talked a little bit about that in, in last episode. The last episode, I also talked about my great concerns with regard to exogenous hormone therapy. I'm talking about contraceptives. I'm talking about bioidentical. I'm talking about all of that. And I also mentioned um, a group of individuals that I'm highly concerned about with regard to exogenous hormones because this group of people are taking um, a lot of our, our exogenous hormone therapies going to this group, which is the trans community. And so when I spoke of that, I just want to be really clear that my concern for, for trans people has nothing to do with their life choices, you know, um, or how I feel about them or gender preferences. It's, you know, one of my best friends is trans and um, I have a lot, of, a lot of love for him, but I have deep concern for the trans community. Uh, 100% of my concern 
around this and why I brought this up in the last episode is 100% with regard to their health, their longevity, and um, their hormone health because your hormones are literally an extension of your character, your personality, your essence. Um, it literally runs every single program in your body. Your hormones run, run every program in your body, including your gut microbiome, your immunity, your sleep cycles, so much. Um, and so my concern here is 100% geared around their health, concern for their health. And I am a big proponent of keeping people out of a system and helping people stay out of a system that fuels sickness and makes us sicker and um, not better. And obviously that's convent the conventional medicine system. So I just wanted to bring that up um, because if that didn't, that talk didn't sit easy with people because I know it's a very sticky subject. Uh, I just wanted to mention that my 100% concern with anyone taking exogenous hormones is their health. And that does include today, especially the trans community. So I just wanted to add, I just wanted to say that before we dive in today. So um, today's topic is really, I wanted to bring this up to help you just more deeply understand hormone health and how the emotions and a little bit of the sexual expression. I'll get into that a little bit more here today too. It's a big topic, but um, I want to tie these in and how they influence the hormones and our hormone health. And so um, just, you know, before I dive in, I want to start with an overview of some of the main components that influence hormone health. And I'm not necessarily going to talk about all of these components, but I want you to know that, hey, hormone health isn't just about repressed emotions, um, but it has a a lot to do with it. But it also involves things like sunlight exposure. A lot of your hormones are released and produced in this 24-hour cycle based on light and day rhythms uh, according to how much sunlight exposure you get that's just, that's a really important part of hormone health as well. Diet is a super important part of hormone health. If you're going vegan, if you're eating PUFAs, if you're eating, you know, vegetable oils, if you're um, eating processed and packaged foods, if you're eating non-organic foods, if you're eating chickens that have been injected with antibiotics, this stuff is going to impact your hormone health and not such, uh, you know, very pleasant ways. Prescription medications, these are going to alter your hormone health. Um, Your emotional expression is going to impact your hormone health and your sexual expression. Today, I'm mostly going to um, focus on the uh, emotional uh, influences and how, how our emotional experiences influence how we express ourselves uh, uh, sexually, but also how the hormones Uh, express themselves as well and set us up either for balanced hormone health throughout our life or are we more prone to hormonal based illnesses and a lot of illnesses are hormone based but what are some of the obvious ones we have cancer is definitely a hormone disease Uh, we have things like even even menstrual disorders um, severe cramping, people, women who faint when they start their, their cycle, right? Uh, women who skip a cycle. Uh, these are all uh, hormone imbalances, PCOS, mood imbalances, you know? These are all examples of, um, 
you know, hormone imbalances. And we have to also include any type of weight fluctuations. Whether you tend to be overweight or if you tend to be underweight, these both are a reflection of hormone health. So I want to start by really emphasizing that Every organism, and I know I'm starting to to talk about this more, but I really want to hit this point home, is that every organism has a breaking point for the amount of stress, for the amount of emotional disturbances that they can handle before the organism, you know, starts to break. It can't take it anymore. It can't handle it anymore. And so it starts to develop symptoms. It reaches this breaking point. Enough's enough. And... um, there's this break, and when the break occurs, when the organism can't take any more, it starts to develop symptoms, and these symptoms can be on the physical level, on the mental, emotional level. So to get to the root of any health issue, including hormone disturbances, um, we need to understand the whole organism. We can't just come in and look at a lab test and see that there's imbalances in the hormones or imbalances in the BUN to creatine ratio. Like, I don't give two, you know, I don't, I don't really care about that because it tells me nothing about the psyche of the person. And it's the psyche of the person when you get to understand who, what the essence of this person really is and how it's expressing itself that you can truly get them the treatment that's going to actually help them improve their health and move forward with with their health. Not that I don't take labs into consideration, I absolutely do. But most doctors, naturopathic, I should just say natural and conventional, they look at a sheet of paper, they look at your your numbers on paper, and... um, they, you know, look at your disease diagnosis and they think they know how to treat you. That's absolutely insane. If we want to, <clears throat> it's not only insane, it's malpractice. That might be like, <laughs> that might be over the top. You might think, Heather, that's extreme. But if if I'm always going for first, do no harm and do what's best for, for the client, the whoever walks into my practice, then I want to know every. I, I want to know the psyche of this person, and their emotional well-being, their emotional health, their emotional expression, their sexual expression. It's going to tell me what the root of their issue is, and then we now we can now we can talk. Now we can start making progress. So if we really want to help our clients, our patients, and if you're looking for somebody to work with. There's a couple things you want to look for. One, you want to make sure they're walking their, their talk. You know, they're not like telling you to eat organic and you, you see them at, you know, a fast food restaurant or, you know, they're telling you to go ketogenic and they're 50, 100 pounds overweight, right? You know, you want to make sure that they're walking their talk. Number one. Number two, you want to be heard. You want to, you want, they need to be asking you a lot of questions, What's the average amount of time that a Western doc spends with their patient? What is it, like seven minutes? That might be high. It's like seven minutes. You can't get to know anything about, about somebody in seven minutes. That's like, that's absolutely unheard of. So um, 
to really help people, we need to understand the psyche. We need to understand the whole organism. We need to understand why they make certain life choices. It's not because they're a bad person. It's literally something in their psyche, something they're experiencing is driving them to stay in bed and feel depressed and want to be, want, you know, think about suicide and have suicidal thoughts. It's not because they're a bad person. And, and, you know, it's not because they need lithium. It's because we need to help them get to, to the root of the problem. So, um, I'm, I really want to just make this clear that the way we're approaching healing, and of course this pertains to hormone health 100%, we're not looking at the whole person. So, you know, we need to find out why. Why do certain people make the choices they do? Why are they, you know, passionate about life or why are they depressed or why is the child disconnected? Why does the child, you know, why do you, do you see the child masturbating, you know, at four or six years old? This, this is not like we go and punish the child. That child is looking for a release. There's some sort of emotional tension in the household and <clears throat> parents who catch their kids like super young masturbating you know, we could chalk this up to exploratory and this is a, a, this is an extension of the hormones and it's an extension of the emotions and a child whose, um, hormones aren't fully developed. That isn't a typical time for mm, masturbation to occur. And so when we see a child of four or six doing this, that, you know, and so forth at a young age, why? This, these are the questions we need to get curious about as practitioners because there's a reason, and that reason is at the root of, you know, what is going on, what's at, what's at the root of their, their health um, disruptions. So, you know, um, these, the conditions that we experience, the diseases we experience, they... They don't happen by chance or bad luck. There's always a driving factor. There's always a root cause. Um, there's usually genetics involved. And um, if a doctor can't figure out one of your symptoms, then they they have a very myopic view of, of the body and likely aren't going to help you too much. So to understand why certain symptoms develop, we need to understand the psychology of the person and, um, you know, versus Webster's definition of the disease. <clears throat> I'm going to say that one more time. To understand why certain symptoms develop in a person, we need to understand the psychology of the person. And you don't need a psychology degree to understand this. You can have a conversation with someone and know if they're an open or closed person. You can know if they have healthy relationships or not. You can, you can tell if they tend to... Um, have be really in their their creativity and their passion or if they're depressed or anxious or shut down you literally don't need um any type of psychology degree 
or therapy degree to understand this, you literally just have to understand people and understand how, you know, symptoms develop and why they develop. So we need to understand the psychology of the person, not Webster's definition of the disease. Because this topic actually came up last weekend in a mini class that I taught um, about hormone health and the emotions. And that is most people become really infatuated and all consumed with a medical diagnosis or a condition. You know, cancer, heart disease, osteoporosis, constipation, uh, just have anger issues, leaky gut, eczema, whatever it may be. We get this medical diagnosis, we Google it, a doctor gives it to us, you know, wherever we pull it out of the air from, we get caught up in the physicalities and the linear aspects of a diagnosis and we look to the material logistical forms of medicine to help heal specific diseases. Not that that isn't important, but most of us get caught up in the diagnosis and then how to go about that diagnosis in this practical, linear way. And that can be necessary, but it's often going to be only going to act as a support. Sometimes it can, I've seen it so many times though, act as a detriment because people get so caught up in the strict order of things, counting um, carbs and measuring ketones and testing their urine and then drinking their urine. It's like we have totally disconnected from why we're sick in the first place and how to actually rectify that. So we can get really caught up in these material logistical ways of healing. And, um, you know, and, and so this can be a real detriment. It can be a block to to our healing and to making forward movement with our healing. And I'll just give you a really quick example. I, I think this this is a pretty obvious, though, this topic. But just for example, let's take leaky gut. You know, <clears throat> somebody might have diarrhea or constipation or alternating, and then they may have bloating or or uh, and brain fog, you know, the classic symptoms of, of leaky gut. Now, the standard approach across the board, I should say alternative-wise, alternative-wise, quote, as you know, probiotics, fermented foods, maybe some prebiotics, do a little gaps or elimination diet, dive headfirst into this, these linear protocols. Who in the hell can drink bone, bone broth for the rest of their life every single day and meal? It's like so um, unrealistic. And not only that, it's not going to get to the root of it. Will it help be a support to have bone broth once in a while? Probably. But is it worth dedicating your whole life to you know, having the crock pot going 24-7? Probably not. Um, Of course, some of these approaches can be helpful, but none of these linear approaches are ever going to come close to removing the root cause. I'm setting the stage here, like prepping the ground for the emotional talk because um, these emotional experiences we have are really at the... Uh, what does Harry Potter call it? The horcrux of what's what's going on, what what's at the root of our, our health issues. So, you know, one last thing I'll mention before I dive into the emotions is that everyone with leaky gut or everyone with cancer, everyone with diabetes, everyone with whatever condition they've been diagnosed with by whatever practitioner, test, or whatnot, They have it for reasons that are unique to their specific organism and their constitution. 
Every woman who has breast cancer, which are millions of women, they have it for reasons unique to their particular organism and constitution. A PET scan or a mammogram, yeah, this might detect the physical location of a tumor, but the reason that tumor actually manifested in physical form is very circumstantial. It's very circumstantial. So this is the same with every other diagnosis. And I talk a lot about root causes of our health struggles today throughout the podcast on multiple, almost every episode. And, you know, if you're new to the to listening to the uh, Primal Pioneer, then <clears throat> the root causes of, of many of our health struggles, at least at the core, some of them, of course there's others, but some main ones are the suppressive therapies, antibiotics, contraceptives, vaccinations, prescription drugs, um, any type of topical ointment, antibacterial, corticosteroid, you name it, super suppressive, suppresses the immune system, okay? As soon as these therapies are engaged in, the immune system weakens and it starts to shut down. Yes, the body can self-heal, but if we totally friggin' take out the army, there's not going to be anyone on the front line to defend itself. So then what are we left with? Leaky gut, histamine response, eczema, depression, you name it, right? So these things weaken the front line, you know? So we think we're doing a good thing by, you know, taking antibiotics or prescription drugs or vaccinations. In almost all cases, there's always either alternative, 100% alternative solutions or something you can do um, alongside of your conventional medicine, you know, or prescription drug that you can take together and that you can gradually wean off of the conventional medicine. So um, this is really important because these um, therapies greatly weaken the defense mechanism that's our immune system. And so how do we know that these substances weaken the body's main defense and cleansing mechanism? It's because as soon as we start these therapies, we no longer have that first line of defense active. And what's the first line of defense? It's high fever. When's the last time you got a high fever, 102 or higher? Most people cannot recall. Most people cannot recall. And this is because year after year after year of these suppressive therapies, it's like you totally wipe out the body's ability to defend itself. So yeah, we see things on like Instagram and self-heal and like, you know, the body does have the ability to self-heal, no doubt. But we have to, we have to nourish it. We have to tend to the soil if we want it to actually give us the results it wants, if we want it to act in the way it's designed. So no longer do we get high fever. And so when we wipe out this acute immune response, what happens is we then get chronic disease. No longer can we get an acute, we can't get high fever. So what results when you can't get high fever? Chronic disease starts to set in. One of my goals as a classical homeopath is let's work towards getting your immune system in a more robust place 
And when somebody who I've been working with, and usually I'm going to be honest, it takes at least a year, more like two or three of ongoing work together for somebody to get a fever again of 102. But when I see a cancer patient get a a fever of 102 on their own, whether they catch a cold or they, um, they develop fever for whatever reason, you know, on their own. They're not going into um, uh, hyperthermia and getting it self-induced. You know, they're not having it mm, exogenously induced. They're actually having their body produce it on its own. That tells me the cancer is, that, that tells me remission. That's the best sign of remission anybody could ever have. And not in the, the hyperbaric tank when you can do it on your own. <clears throat> okay, so um, in over 95% of the cases that I've seen, that I've seen over the years in my practice, the root cause of our physical condition is, here we go, also attributed to uh, an emotional rupture that was too much for the organism to overcome, okay? An emotional experience happens, you get a grief, your, your sibling dies, your parent dies. This is just one example. The grief is so overwhelming, the organism can't take it. It has a breaking point. It has a rupture, okay? So 95% and maybe this number may be higher, okay? This, that could be low. I'm being a little generous. There's at least some root cause of our physical conditions in, in the, an emotional rupture that was too much for the organism to overcome. And as a result, the body develops a coping mechanism. Now, the coping mechanism that the organism um, adapts allows the organism to keep functioning without having to fully feel the pain that was caused by the emotional rupture because the pain was too much. It got to a point where it's like, I can't take it anymore. It's like somebody who's just abused over and over and over again and they can't take it anymore and so they just crack, right? And so when this happens to us emotionally, there's this breaking point, okay? And this breaking point happens because we can't take so much pain anymore. It's like there's not good outlets for it. There's not good support. Who was raised in an emotionally healthy environment where you're free to express your emotions and, you know, um, we have talks about the emotions? I mean, you know, not many people. I know I wasn't. I was raised in a lot of other environments that were awesome, but an emotionally healthy environment was definitely not one of them. And so um, what happens is in order for the organism to keep functioning without going into total collapse, then this emotional rupture happens and symptoms develop. Okay, this can be mental, emotional, physical symptoms. Um, And when it comes to hormone health, this has a big impact on hormone health, especially for women. Our our hormones are so complex, um, much more complex than uh, men because we can carry life. We bleed every month. We 
can uh, have children, we can bear a child, right? And so our, the hormones, it's like way more complex than, um, than what goes on in, on the, the masculine, the male hormone level. Not that, you know, I'm not downplaying them whatsoever. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not like one of those male-hating um, lesbians, not by any means <laughs> at all. Um, so I wanted to just be really clear that because uh, women have such intricate um, emotional needs that when we have <clears throat> emotional disruptions, when there's an emotional rupture, this has a huge influence on how the hormones and the sexual sphere, how, you, how they both express themselves. So what could this look like, right? You know, there's a few things. I mean, literally it's endless. So let's be honest. There's more than a few things. But here's some of the most common ways, uh, or I should say, here's some of the most common emotional ruptures, okay? A grief, jealousy, feeling forsaken, depression, inability to express feelings, uh, anger, uh, the inability to express anger, um, what else? Anxieties, fear of rejection, um, somebody who's really involved in like a spiritual practice in like a cult way. These things, um, these emotional expressions, these are emotional ruptures. These are signs of emotional ruptures, Okay. So the organism is going to then create a defense mechanism. I'm going to get into what this could look like, especially on the hormone level, as a result of the emotional rupture. Now, homeopathy is brilliant in the sense that it can pinpoint hormone imbalance depending on emotional pain. And um, it can also pinpoint mental, physical symptoms as well. And trace this back to, okay, why is the organism suffering uh, in any way, but also on, a, uh, on the hormone plane? I'm going to give you some examples here because I feel like it could maybe help put this into context a little bit for you all. So I'm going to use a couple homeopathic remedies to describe um, what this could look like. What's an emotional rupture look like and how does the organism adapt to that rupture? What are some of the coping mechanisms that the organism can take on? And I'm going to give you an example of, this is a women's remedy. And I should say, if you're new to homeopathy, homeopathic medicine uses homeopathic remedies to treat imbalances in the body. And those imbalances are not limited to the hormones. There's no limit on them, actually. Um, But I commonly um, work with a lot of women who have hormone imbalances. So I'm going to give you this example of of the remedy Sabina. Sabina is a women's health remedy. Now, just by me saying that, if you have a women's health issue, don't run out and buy, like, load up your cart with homeopathic Sabina. Hear me out here so you can learn, hey, is that, do I resonate with that? Because homeopathy is not like Western medicine or even alternative medicine, you know, like herbs and vitamins and stuff. It's not like that. It's not like, oh, you have leaky gut, so take this probiotic. Homeopathy is like, 
oh, this is your personality, this is your sexual expression, this is your emotional patterns, these are your physical symptoms, puts them all together, and then gives you a remedy picture. So it's very holographic in that way. Okay, with regard to Sabina, the Sabina woman is very closed about her feelings. She's been hurt. Maybe she's been through some sort of abuse or trauma in her life, and she's very, very closed. She will not share her feelings with others, with the world. She can't express them. Um, And so just like as a side, as I'm going through Sabina here, if you're like, hmm, I don't really resonate with Sabina, know that when there's any type of emotional rupture, and let's just take the emotions are closed, for example, there's, there's some emotion you can't express. There's a closeness around it, right? The organism will always, always find an outlet. If you don't give the organism an outlet, it will find an outlet, and that outlet might not be emotional expression or talking it out. It could be diarrhea, constipation, uh, tumor development, migraine headache, um, eczema, acne, etc., in the case of um, Sabina, okay, there's, there's this closed down um, emotional life. So what happens? She'll talk to herself in her sleep and the menses are extremely long. They're 10 days, they're 20 days, they're 30 plus days. So they just they can they can just keep going, and you know we get this condition. If you go to the OBGYN and they see this, ooh, they're gonna they're gonna stop that. What happens when you just okay? There might be a case where you know you have to stop that if the if if you don't know about homeopathy or homeopathic treatment doesn't work. However, if you just cut something off, like even somebody who goes and gets warts cut off, or um. Oh man, I had somebody who came into my practice who had sweat so much that um, the doctors thought it was, you know, a pretty good idea to go in and um, take out her sweat glands in her in her armpits. Major issues, major health issues as a result. Whenever we stop something from flowing in the body or expressing itself, whether it's an emotion, a wart, diarrhea, um, uh, sweat, perspiration, whatever, the menstrual blood, if you stop that in an unnatural way, you better believe the body's going to find another outlet for that. And it's usually going to be on a deeper level. And that deeper level is usually going to be on the mental emotional sphere. And then we get into fun things like, you know, depression, extreme anxiety, suicidal thoughts. And these things don't just happen out of thin air. Okay. In the case of Sabina, she wants to get her, the, the way her organism tries to get things out is she'll talk in her sleep, the menses are super long, and the sex drive is extremely high. Often, not always, but often in people who are closed emotionally, the sex drive is high because it's another outlet for the emotions. It's the way the body's trying to provide uh, another outlet for the organism. So the Sabina woman isn't isn't super keen on relationships. Um, 
she's super shut down emotionally. But as I mentioned, the body's going to look for a release valve. And in the case of Sabina, that is going to be via the menstrual blood, high sex drive, and talking in the sleep. They will also cry in their sleep. They can't cry in front of other people, but they will cry in their sleep. They'll talk in their sleep. The organism's really trying to get it out. If this pattern continues without addressing the emotions, then what's going to happen? As I mentioned, deeper pathology is going to set in. You're going to get the formation of cysts. You're going to get the formation of tumors. These things can result. So when, if you're someone out there, I'm, I'm telling you these stories about the remedy because every remedy has a story to it and a personality to it. And it gets into the psyche of, you know, what's going on with someone. And if you can match the, somebody's psyche with the remedy, you have a real potential, a high potential for helping to move that person towards a much improved state of health. I'm not allowed to use the word cure, but you can insert it if you'd like. So um, why, I'm, why I'm really sharing you with you these details, the personality of you know, what happens on the emotional level, before the physical disease manifests is because if you have a hormone imbalance and you go to your doctor and they give you hormones, we're missing the picture here. We're missing the entire picture. Yeah, maybe your use of contraceptives have contributed to your hormone health imbalances. I mean, that's an obvious one. It has. You can try to, you can rectify that. We can try to rectify that. At least depends on how long you've been on it. That's a huge problem. That's a, that's a huge problem. You see, women, if they can just learn to track their cycles, <clears throat> would be, have, have less, they wouldn't have to rely on medication for preventing um, an unwanted birth, an unwanted pregnancy. And, it's very simple. The body is very, um, I mean, it's easy to read, to be honest. All you have to do is pay attention. Yeah, you can download an app on your phone to see when you're ovulating, but you know what you can also do is just see when the egg white um, type of liquid fluid comes out of your vagina, and that tells you you're ovulating. And that will happen for about, you know, three days. So if you just use precaution around those, you know, maybe three days during and maybe give yourself a couple days after. If you don't want to get pregnant, you literally can't get pregnant any other time of the month unless you're ovulating. That's it. That's how, that's how, that's how, that's the only way you can't get pregnant if you're not ovulating. Most women don't know. They can't get pregnant if they're not ovulating. That blows my mind. I wasn't taught that in any class growing up, I learned that from my wife, who's a midwife. So um, if you didn't know that, (laughs) I didn't know it for years. I was like, hey, that's probably something we should really know as women. Okay, so, um, so what I'm really trying to get here, because I just want you to understand that these emotional patterns set in before the really deep chronic issue sets in. 
I want to give another example here, <clears throat> and this is for this is a remedy called Staphysagria. This is more so for uh, women who are soft, they're meek, yet there's a tremendous amount of grief held inside. There's a tremendous amount of anger held inside that they're unable to express. They can't express it. They wouldn't dare express it, right? And so they keep it inside. If somebody budges in front of them in, a, in, in line at a grocery store, they wouldn't say a word, right? This is the kind of staff aesthetic. If their husband or partner reams on them, they won't, they won't give a fight back. They won't talk back. They'll kind of just take it. And so the Staphysagria woman, she's unable to express. She can't express. She attracts in bad, poor relationships, abusive relationships. Um, she's always giving, giving, giving. There's never a receiving. Uh, she's always being mistreated by her partner and uh, never speaking up about it. She can't stand up for herself or voice her, her anger or her needs. And as a result, symptoms develop. What happens? When she does get angry, watch out. It's like a violent outburst. It's like, it's like whoa, where did that come from? <clears throat> it's rare that the anger comes out, but it can in that way. There's skin issues. There's a high sex drive. There's skin cancers. There's um, issues with the bladder and holding the urine, right? So there's issues with depression. You know, recently I had a case, a cancer case. It was um, a lymphoma. I gave Staphysagria as the remedy. Her, her uh, psyche, her picture was completely Staphysagria. And, uh, you know, she had a history of being with abusive men, unable to speak up for herself, unable to get angry, totally couldn't get angry. And, you know, many women today, especially, some men have this too, they're afraid of their anger, or they think it's a bad thing. So they meditate to try to make it go away. I'm not saying meditation's bad. I'm a big fan. But if we think that ignoring it or trying to just, uh, you know, pray or meditate it away is going to work. You know, it might work for a little bit, but it's not going to get, it's not going to get to the root of it. And so, um, so this, this woman had, woman had that, you know, uh, super angry inside, but couldn't express it. So just would spend hours a day meditating to try not to feel the anger. After two months on the Staphysagria, her emotions started to change, expressed her anger, so much grief kept inside, just crying, 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 crying. But what happened? <clears throat> the tumor started shrinking. Her energy levels started improving. Her cachexia, you know, um, the, the muscle wasting that can happen in cancer, patients started reversing. You see... You can Google all day long alternative treatments or homeopathic remedies for lymphoma and you're never going to get a mention of Staphysagria. Why is this? This is because most people today, they, as I mentioned, they treat disorders, not people, not the psyche, not the whole organism. And until we can approach healing in this way, healing's just going to, you're just going to, how many people are on a wild goose chase with their healing? It's like a total 
it's like chaos out there. It's like chickens with their heads cut off looking for, you know, the magic thing. I did it. It was totally exhausting. I did it for 10 years and I basically collapsed and then sat in the sun and I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, I, I see. I have to sit, I have to be in the sun more. It literally, that was, that was basically how it, how it started. Um, but, you know, today we get really focused on our disorders and um, just like this individual gave staphysagria is not indicated for lymphoma. If you look up staphysagria, it's not going to say lymphoma. It's not even indicated. It doesn't matter. It's indicated if the person's psyche expresses that remedy, the personality of that remedy. Then it's indicated. That's a completely different way of thinking of healing and approaching healing than either both the alternative and conventional medical world approach it. It's completely, uh, you know, anyone would, uh, anybody listening to this, maybe a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor, or a conventional doctor, I mean, they would just think this was ludicrous, you know? Like, what do you mean? They're constipated, give a laxative, tell them to take magnesium. It's like, that is not, that's not how this healing game works. So, um... That was just a couple examples. I mean, there's literally thousands of remedies and there's thousands of ways your your organism's gonna can express itself depending on your emotional experiences. And it's really important to know that if you have a hormonal imbalance or a hormone related issue or disease, that the physical, logistical, you know, the diet, the sunlight, of course important. This is why I created the sunlight diet. So everybody had the logistics in one place. Boom, there you go. Diet, light, artificial light, just go do that and you'll have your logistical bases covered. So um, the logistical bases are easy to get covered. The What we then need to cover is the emotional imbalances. That's how we're really going to get to the whore crux of this whole thing. So... Um, I want to end today with a glimpse into the next episode, um, and that is to heal our bodies and to live the healthiest life. What do we need? Okay, I talked a lot about homeopathy. I of co- I would not be in the place I am with my own healing personally if it wasn't for homeopathy. Recovering from my brain injury, recovering from all the side effects from that, recovering from the PTSD of my car accident, I would not be where I am today without homeopathy. And I know a lot of my clients would not be where they are today as well without this brilliant, brilliant medicine. So that's number one. Number two, sunlight. It's just it's just a no-brainer that the people who get the most sunlight exposure live the longest. We can't deny that fact. And you, your body actually literally produces and releases certain hormones based on your sunlight environment. So that's that's number two. Number three, really, really work hard to limit your prescription drug and vaccination. Vaccinations are just, forget them. You know, those are the most ridiculous, toxic thing we could do to our immune system. And, and prescription drugs, okay? Maybe you'll need this and maybe it'll be life-saving for you. Maybe you'll get into such a, a situation where you need it. So don't take, this is not medical advice I'm giving you, right? I'm not, I'm not claiming to give you medical advice, right? But 
you know, I'm talking about the incessant use of prescription drugs. It's like, my child has a fever of 99. Quick, go get the children's Tylenol. No, let that thing go up. Let that go up. 102, 103. There's a time where you might have to give children's ibuprofen, never Tylenol, but that might not be necessary, and it, it could be a good thing for, for the kid. I've had a kid get up to 105, brought the fever down, and um, the issue people get scared about is going into a, you know, having a, a seizure. The body will only have a seizure if it gets overheated and, and um, in the fever state. The fever state I'm talking about with regard to seizure. Uh, so if your kid gets a fever, uh, usually it has to be sustained about 104, mm, 105. If a kid can get a fever of 105 today, I mean, I'll give you a gold medal. But anyway, the issue here is people are afraid they're going to get a seizure. So if you can't get the fever down, let's say you don't have homeopathy, you don't know what remedy to give, the ice bath isn't working, uh, whatever you're doing isn't working, you know, you can give them an ibuprofen. That's not going to be nearly as suppressive as any other therapy if you don't know your home, you know, to what remedy to give it. But here's the thing. If you keep them hydrated, if you can get them to drink and hydrate, this is a time I encourage things like fruit juice, natural, 100%, because it's literally the only time I recommend juicing is if a kid has a high fever and you want to prevent him from going into a seizure. So number three, limit prescription drugs and vaccinations. Number four, diet. Focusing on diet. That's a big topic. I'm not going to go into detail, but I want to say that all of these things and practices improve your body's ability to absorb and utilize nutrients in sunlight and in food. And we know that soil, the soil our food is grown in, the soil that um, contains the highest amount of organic living matter naturally kills off disease-promoting agents. So, I, so just in case you didn't hear that, the soil that our food is grown in when it's grown in a very high amount of organic living matter, okay, it naturally kills off disease-promoting agents. So, you know, the more I learn about sunlight and soil and the health of our soil, the more I see that humans and plants are very similar, very, very similar. Bugs and pests don't attack and feed off of healthy plants. If your soil is healthy, then your plants will be healthy and they will have less pests on them. So um, the health of the plant is almost 100% dependent on the soil. Of course, you have to, um, uh, when the soil is healthy, I should say, then if there's drought or if there's a, a, a lot of, you know, say there's heavy rainfall, the soil will absorb it or the soil will be so resilient it will have that water stored in it. Or if there's excess heat, it won't dry out the plants when the soil's healthy and can hold all the water and nutrients and minerals in place. The same is true for humans. Disease doesn't attack healthy humans. Disease only attacks the places in us 
that are undernourished and inconsidered. And often this has to do with our emotional places, the emotional ruptures that get unseen, swept under the carpet, disregarded, parents divorced when I was little, disregarded that, that happened 40 years ago. It can't at all be part of my situation. Vaccination when I was 12 couldn't at all be part of, yeah, it is. It's all part of it. It's all part of your soil. It's all part of you. And it influences your health, directly influences your health and the diseases you're prone to. Thanks for tuning in. And I'll see you next week. Right now, I have two offerings that I want to teach you all about to help support your health. Number one is the sunlight diet. And this is what I refer to as the OG ancestral diet. It's literally the original ancestral diet because it combines a truly ancestral diet that takes into consideration seasonal variations, sunlight, and ancestral foods, and also combines circadian biology, healing, improving your light environment. It combines these two components, putting it into this optimal Uh, ancestral healing plan to help support and benefit your health. You can go to my site, heathershepard.com, H-E-A-T-H-A-R-S-H-E-P-A-R-D.com. At the top of the page on the header, you will see the sunlight diet. You can click there for more details. Number two, if you're inspired to learn more about classical homeopathy. This fall, I'm launching a year and a half program teaching people how to use classical homeopathy and circadian biology methodologies to help people overcome root causes of their health struggles. So if you're a health practitioner or if you want to become an alternative health practitioner, I invite you to apply for this program. Application is now open for the program and you can go learn more about the program and apply at studyclassicalhomeopathy.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. To learn more about my approach to health, to see all of my creations in the kitchen and all of my Sunlight RX tips, you can follow me on the gram at sunlight underscore RX and subscribe to this podcast to access weekly episodes.